Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the Eden Podcast. My name is Daniel Latondo. I'm the lead pastor of Eden Church. Today you're listening to Happy, a series about God's unlikely plan for a meaningful life. I hope this series helps you to live with greater hope for the future. Let's get started. Well, I hope you came ready for service this morning because today I'm going to invite you to jump off a cliff with me. That's right, I'm going to invite you to jump off a cliff. And the way that I want to frame the ask this morning is by talking about the idea of generosity. This past Sunday night, we have group at our house, and we asked the question, what is one thing in, my, in your life that you would like for others to experience? What is one thing in your life you would like for others to experience? And so we asked this question to our group. My friend Tina was the first brave soul to respond. And she said, I would love it if others could experience how good it is to give. And so we prodded a little bit. We said, what is so good about giving? She says, I don't know. It just feels so good. I think most of us would probably agree that giving is good, but we might also have to admit that generosity doesn't normally come naturally. If you've spent time with kids for any amount of time, you know that sharing is something that has to be taught and developed in their life. It's not natural. One of the first words that a child ever learns is the word mine. And the truth is, is that really this is a picture of the lifelong struggle that many of us have to wrestle with at every season of life, this lifelong struggle with self-centeredness. And I know that some of us are self-centered. And you know how I know that? Let me give you an example. Have you ever had the experience where you took a group picture and the first person that you look for is yourself? (laughs) And the way that you determine if that's a good picture is based on how good you look in the picture. You don't care if everyone else's eyes are closed or their faces are contorted. If you look good in the picture, it's a good picture. And I'm going to put my wife on blast this morning. Because for the last 10 years, she has been using an engagement picture where she looks beautiful and I look like an ogre. The the wind is like blowing in her hair. The sunlight is cast upon her in the perfect light. And I'm like behind her and like this grouch looking face. But the truth is, is because all of us have this little, a little bit of this self-centered nature inside of us. It is a challenge to give, but all of us also understand that it is good to give. Look at what the Apostle Paul says as he quotes the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so Tina was really just reaffirming what Jesus had already taught, that giving is good, but in fact, giving is so much better than receiving. And so today is our last Sunday in the series that we've been working through called Happy. And we begin this series with the belief that even if you are living the life that you have always dreamed of living, there are still many people in our world today that are asking the question, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at God's unlikely path to a meaningful life, and we've been doing that by looking in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be continuing the conversation that we started last week on Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where we were talking about God's perspective on money and why giving is good. 
and ultimately why we believe that if we hope to have any kind of meaningful life, any kind of life of purpose, it is going to have to include generosity in the equation. So I want to begin with the question, if giving is good, why is generosity so difficult? If giving is good, then why don't we do it more often? I think that there are at least three reasons. Number one, many of us don't think that we have enough. And so we work ourselves to the bone to get more stuff that we are convinced will make us happy if we have the stuff in our possession. And so we work and we work and then we realize that what we thought was going to make us happy doesn't actually make us happy and the pursuit of it actually causes our life to be chaotic. The other day, my son was cleaning up his toys and so we're pretty adamant that we try not to clean up our kids' stuff, but we end up doing it a lot of times. Um, so I guess we're not that adamant about it. But we were telling him to clean up his stuff, and we said, get as much stuff as you can and take it into the room, because sometimes they'll just pick up one toy with one hand and take it one at a time, and that would take a lot of time. And so we said, pick up more so that you can get it cleaned up faster. And so what he did is he started bending over, and he picked up one toy and another toy and another toy, and he's kind of lodging it in one hand, and he has all, this, all these toys pressed against his body as he's bent over picking it up. And he's trying to hang on to as many toys as possible. And then I said, okay, well, stand up and take all the toys to your room. And so he starts to stand up and he says, I can't. And as he started sort of inching his way forward, toys began to fall out in front of him until he started grabbing the rest of them. And he walked to the bedroom just like this, little by little, as toys were sort of falling out the sides of his arms. But that is a picture how so many of us look like with our stuff. We're trying to accumulate one thing after the other, and it doesn't matter how contorted our lives become in the pursuit of all these things. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, And yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Number two, we've seen the topic of money abused, sometimes in churches, because we've all heard or seen someone who has manipulated people for their own personal gain. And so we've become skeptical of every talk that we hear on money, and it has simultaneously and even unintentionally hindered our generosity. But maybe the most pervasive reason that generosity is so difficult is because many of us have unintentionally adopted a scarcity mindset over an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset operates from a zero-sum game. And that means that if I win, you lose. And if I lose, you win. And if I give, that means I lose. And I'm not positive that what I'm giving away, I will ever get back. But the abundant mindset says that when we give, we are blessed in the process. That in our giving, we are actually receiving. And what it does philosophically is it replaces the zero-sum game with God's economy, and this is how God's economy works. In Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25, it says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Scarcity says that you have this little treasure of blessing that God has poured out upon your life, and what you do is you begin to wrap your entire life around this one little blessing and you cling to it as tightly as you possibly can because you're afraid that you might not ever get it back. But what you're also doing simultaneously is you are now positioning yourself 
to no longer receive what God has for you in the future. But the abundance mindset is positioned for God's blessing. It believes that God has more for us in the future, but what it takes to receive what God had means that you're not going to hoard what he's already given you, but you live your life with an open hand, ready to give and receive, ready to give and receive, ready to give and receive. But the scarcity mindset lives with a clenched fist. And so the principle says that if you have planted a seed, you can expect a harvest. It doesn't mean that you give $100 and you get $1,000, but it does mean that you will have the fulfillment and the joy of knowing that God used you to make a difference in someone else's life. And so as a church, we are committed to never shy away from talking about money because we are convinced that if we can help position our lives to a place of, to, to a place of lifestyle generosity, we know that we are positioning ourselves to be blessed by God for a lifetime. So then the question is, if giving is good, how can we be intentional with our giving? One of the greatest ways that we can be intentional with our giving is by trusting God with the tithe. The tithe tithe comes from a Hebrew word which refers to one-tenth of your produce. And so in a a gregarian culture, a farming culture, this was really a reference to a person's income. So Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. And so when we think about the tithe, we understand that really the tithe is an act of worship to God. For example, if I were to be a farmer and I had 100 stalks of corn, the first 10 I would give to God and that would be my tithe and it would be done in an act of faith and worship. Jesus affirms the practice In the New Testament, in Matthew 23, 23, he says, What sorrows await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. I think the tithe is one of the most unique parts about our faith development. It's really interesting. Because it's one of the things where God implements into our life to regularly test the condition of our heart. Every time something comes into our bank account, God is asking, are you willing to put me first with your finances? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to trust me? Remember Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. But I love that God doesn't make this an asymmetrical type of relationship because He also allows for this to be an area, and in fact, the only area in the entire Bible where He says, you can test me on this. Not only is it a test for the condition of our hearts, but we are allowed to test God in this area. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The storehouse in this context really is a place of community worship, a place of the church. And he's saying if you are putting God first in your finances, there is a promise of blessing in your life. 
Now, I want to be really careful as we begin to talk about these types of things because I think it's possible for us to come to the wrong conclusion when we read verses like this. What we're not talking about is what some people have phrased or termed the prosperity gospel. And this means that if you give a little, you get a lot. And the motivation behind the giving is really the getting. The hope is that you become financially prosperous, financially wealthy. But that's not what this passage is saying. It is not a promise of financial wealth. It is a promise of spiritual blessing. But there's other people who go on the opposite end of the spectrum, and they say, we shouldn't have anything. We shouldn't have any money. That money is evil, stuff is evil, things are evil. And if we truly want to be united with God, we should live in a constant state of poverty. But that's not truthful either. Because if you put God first with your finances, it is perfectly acceptable to go on a really nice vacation. That if you have put God first with your finances, it is not evil or wrong to buy a car or to have a nice house or to have nice things. That is not what the gospel teaches. What the gospel teaches is really a provision gospel, which means that when we put God first, he provides for what we need. And I know some of you are thinking, if you were here last week, hold on, hold on, because last week you said it is time to pay off our debt, it is time to start saving, and now you're talking about tithing. And some of you are a little bit frustrated, and I appreciate, one, that you remembered what I said last week, <laughs> because that usually doesn't happen. But you're frustrated because you're thinking that if I were to do all of these things that we were talking about, I would have to 100% completely rearrange my life around God as a priority. And that is the point. That is exactly the point. That is how we make sure that God is the master of our lives and not money. It is when we rearrange our lives to make God the priority. I want to share a little bit of my own personal financial journey because that was the exact tension that I was living in when I was challenged with this idea of the tithe. And I shared with many of you guys last week, if you were here, that um, when I was in college, I was, a really, I was really bad financially. I, I was stressing out. Um, I was a financial mess. Generosity to me was like whatever I had in my pocket at that moment. I wasn't budgeting. I was overdrawing on my bank account almost every single month. And then in the midst of that, a friend gave me a book that talked about how to manage money God's way. And the point of this entire book was to position people for a lifestyle of generosity. And so when I read the book, I became convinced that God was leading me to start participating in the tithe. But I had a few barriers to overcome. The first barrier was that I lived with this poverty mindset. That whatever I had, I sort of clung to it because I wasn't certain if I would ever get it again. And so it was really hard for me to begin thinking about generosity at this level. The second thing is that I was in debt. About, I had about, the debt that I had represented about one-third of my annual income. And so if I was going to start putting God first in my life, I really had to start rearranging my priorities. And so I kind of started doing that. The first thing I did was I sold the car back to the dealership, and I paid off the remaining balance, and I cut my losses, and I didn't have a car. The second thing is that I was moving to a brand-new location at the time, I had gotten a job as a youth pastor in Fresno, and so I was looking for a place to rent in the cheapest apartment unit that I could find in a moderately safe neighborhood uh, was way more than I could afford, and so I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do, but I needed a place to live. 
So I had to rethink my living situation. And then finally, I went on the strictest budget of my life. I literally had cash envelopes for everything that I was going to buy. And if I didn't have cash in my wallet, I didn't buy it. And I adopted a new life philosophy, which said, beans, rice, and Jesus Christ. That was how I lived. But it really was this overwhelming season of life because because I, I, I was sort of upset at myself that I had lived my life in such a way that it was so difficult for me to have to reorient everything to make Jesus, Jesus at the center of it. But the crazy thing happened was that once I made the decision to trust God with the tithe, I saw him work in really miraculous ways. And I want to share a few of those things. Number one, about a week before I was supposed to move to this new location, the only friend that I had in that city called me and said, I have a friend who's looking to rent out a room and it's in a nice neighborhood, and it was in a nice house, and he said it, was a, it, would, and it ended up being about half, less than half of what it would have costed me to rent out this apartment in a bad neighborhood. So that was great. Number two, a guy in our church bought a car for his 16-year-old granddaughter. For whatever reason, she wasn't able to receive the car, but he also knew about my situation. And so he said, Daniel, if, you wanna, if you're willing to drive the car, you can have it. So he gave me a car, and it was interesting. What you may not know is um, when I started driving the car, I got a lot of attention. I, in fact, uh, made all the 16-year-old girls in my youth ministry really jealous because it was a 2000 baby blue VW Beetle (laughs) with a standard flower pot on the dashboard. And I remember driving that thing, and like all the girls on one hand were really jealous. They wished they had it. But then when I would drive it in public, people would literally make fun of me. They would like roll down their window and like point and laugh at me. And I was thinking in my heart, they probably, someone in the car probably felt bad for me. But I was thinking, don't feel bad for me. This is God's blessing in my life. And so, and so it was a blessing. And God began to pour out. But really the greatest miracle that I saw God doing during that time in my life is he began to shift something in my heart. He took me from being this poverty mindset-driven person where I had to cling to every little thing that I had, where I began to start valuing this idea of generosity, that God was shifting my heart toward money from the inside out. And it was such a blessing because he was increasing my faith. And what I learned is that the tithe is not for God because God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. The tithe is really intended for us. And what he intended to do was to rid our hearts of that natural-born self-centeredness, that natural-born greed, that natural mentality that says, I need to collect everything I can and keep it for myself. And he wants to replace those desires and those feelings with faith. Because the tithe is almost an every week, every month faith exercise. Because it takes faith to trust God with your first 10%, but it doesn't take faith to give God what's left over. One of the greatest truths I learned during that time was when God is our priority, he provides the provision. When God is our priority, he provides the provision. And when you have ever felt provided by God, you begin to develop this heart of generosity because you know that there was nothing that you did necessarily to earn what you have been given, but it was because of the gracious, goodness, good heart of God that he poured it out on your life. 
And this is what happens. Philemon, Philemon 6. He says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. We give because we have been so radically generous, generously given to. And I know that this is really kind of a scary thing for a lot of us to consider. Maybe you're not considering whatever. But if you are considering, it is kind of a scary thing to think, to allocate and to reorganize your life in such a ridiculous way. But I actually love these moments. And what I've realized throughout the course of ministry is that there's sort of this pattern that whenever you sort of feel scared, whenever you feel angry, whenever you feel a little frustrated about a next spiritual step in your life, it is usually a sign that you are on the brink, the brink of a spiritual breakthrough. That there is some turmoil or tension happening in your heart because God is at work and there's this tension because you're about to break through spiritually somewhere. I remember re reading an illustration of a guy who was telling the story of paragliding and he was talking about how it's such a unique experience because you feel such extreme emotions that are so different from one another, but you feel them almost uh, simultaneously or right next to one another. Because he said what happens is that the way that they do it is that you're supposed to be like 100 yards from the cliff of a mountain. And he says the way you do it is that you run full speed to the edge of that cliff. And he says as you're running, all you're thinking is, oh my gosh, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. And you're supposed to run as fast as you can. You're thinking, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. And he says, after you, you step on the edge of that cliff, you jump off and you're sort of floating in the air. And immediately you think, this is amazing. This is amazing, this is amazing, this is amazing. But what he said was that if you never put yourself in a situation where you're saying this is crazy, you will never experience those moments where you say this is amazing. Someone once said that our greatest blessing is on the other side of our greatest fear. And what I'm convinced about this whole journey, this financial stewardship journey, this call to tithe, is that it is less about what you get and it is so much more about who you're becoming. And I think that this is just the same kind of test that God puts us through over and over again throughout the course of our lives. This is the repetitive cycle of faith. The challenge may look different, the packaging is different, the circumstances are different, but the call that Jesus makes is always the same. Will you follow me? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you put me first? And I love that the testimony of God throughout the course of history has demonstrated so clearly that there is a God who loves us who longs to bless us, who wants to transform our hearts from the inside out, who wants to cause us to view reality differently, to engage in relationships with a healthy mind, and he longs for the best life for us. But what is true about God is that he will never force himself upon you. He will never force himself to be in your life. He has to be invited in. He has to be invited into the process. But if we never invite him in, we will never experience the this is so awesome.
type of faith. We'll never experience that part of our life. Romans 10.13 says, Scripture reassures us that no one who trusts God like this, oh, excuse me, let me read that again. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so this morning, I want to invite you to jump off a cliff with me. I want to give you the opportunity to experience the radical generosity of God by inviting Him into your life. It is such a simple decision, but it will be the greatest decision that you ever make, but it will require faith. It will require a little bit of that this is so crazy kind of experience. It will require you to make a decision to trust in Him. And so what we're going to do right now is I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And if we could all just honor one another by keeping our eyes closed and our heads bowed, that would be amazing. And today I want to invite you to ask Jesus to come into your life. I want to invite you, if you felt a prompting, if you felt a calling or a nudge in your soul to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you'd like to take that step of faith, go ahead and pray this prayer with me in your heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I confess you as my Savior and surrender my life to you. I am committed to following you for the rest of my life, however you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want to take a moment to pray for those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart. But I want to ask you to do something bold for me this morning. And quickly and shallowly raise your hand if you prayed that prayer in your heart so that I can pray for you this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I thank you this morning for the work that you are doing in our church. God, there is nothing more exciting about the life of faith than that we get to be on this journey of the unknown. But the thing that we do know is that the person we are on the journey with will always provide a way. That he will always provide a means for us to do what we have been called to do. God, I thank you for every person this morning that raised their hand to invite you into their life, to surrender their lives to you. Because I know, God, that you are a good steward of our lives. That when we ask you into our hearts, we will never regret what you are doing in us. 
It may be hard. It may be difficult. But in those moments, God, what you are doing is you are forming in us a character that could not be formed by any other circumstance. And you were shepherding us and you were leading us. And God, I pray for those lives today that you invited in, that invited you into their hearts. And I ask God that you would use their lives to make a difference in this world. That God, the faith that we have today, we wouldn't cling to with the scarcity mindset but we would have an abundance, abundance mindset. God, believing that what you have done in our lives is not unique for us, but you desire that for the entire world. That there are people in our neighborhood, in our community that are suffering and hurting, that especially in this season of life, in this season of the year, are feeling lonely and abandoned. But God, that is where your church comes through. It's in those moments that we fill in the gap for people who perhaps have no hope. For people who at the end of the day are still asking the question, God, is there all that there is? Is this all that there is to life? I pray for this community and I ask God that you would allow for us to be this army of love, this army of hope in our community. As you transform our hearts and you create in us a spirit of radical generosity, God, I know your journey looks different for all of us. But God, where we are united is that we have all been blessed. We have all been recipients of the radical generosity of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would not stop with us. But that in every season, with every opportunity, we pay that love forward by offering the hope of the gospel to this world. That in Jesus, we can have true life. God, thank you for what you're doing in our community. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.